We are in week number two of our new series called Moxie. Um, Moxie means strength of character. It means grit. It means determination. It means you got guts. It means there's something standing in front of you. You're bulldozing through it. Yet what we're also talking about is what Christian moxie is. Meaning you have all those things. You've got the guts. You've got the grit. You have determination. You have courage. Yet at the same time, at the same time, there's a peace about you. At the same time, at the same time, you have a contentment and you have this joy that is sustaining and it's not, it's not going away. And it's a, guys, this is a very unique combination to have this strength and this grit and this guts, yet at the same time, you are somehow strong, yet you're a very gentle person and you have this joy and you have this contentment to you. And and that's really what moxie is. And, and last week we saw that if you want this moxie sauce, if you want it, you have to have found this absolutely irresistible grace of Christ. And when you find that grace, you start becoming more and more of a person of moxie. Now, today, we don't go beyond grace because... It, you need to know this, you never go beyond grace. However, what we see Paul doing is we see Paul finding something about grace. We see Paul doing something with grace, and by him doing what he is doing with grace, oh, it does something to him, and it changes him, and, it's, and, and he's offering it to us right now, today. Um, and I want you to know it's likely... It's likely that you haven't found what Paul has, or you have found it, but you aren't doing with grace what you're supposed to be doing with it. And because of that, you are missing out on God, and you're missing out on having this moxie start to just like infest you and to become a person of moxie, where you have this contentment and this happiness and this peace, yet at the same time, you got guts, you got grit, and you've got courage to press through what's ever standing in front of you. All right, so... Um, what I want to do is the first thing is I got to catch you up on what we talked about last week if you weren't here because if you miss last week, you're going to miss today. So let me catch you up. And, and what I did is I started off with a story last week and I said this, imagine that you live in a dystopia, a, a world that has turned rotten. And you and your family have been captured and your friends have been captured and you are being auctioned off. You are being bid out to the highest bidder to these slave masters. And so you're standing there, you've been caught and you've been captured and you're standing before all of these slave masters that are bidding for you and they're throwing out their highest bid and finally somebody gets you. And you're like, oh man, this is horrible. And you and your friends and your family are all loaded up in the back of this truck, door shut, you can't see anything through it, through it and you're driven to this place. It takes like a day to get there. You're you're thirsty and you're hungry and you finally get there to this place that's going to be like your new home, if you could even call it that. And then all of a sudden, the back door swings open. But shockingly, you are greeted with a smile and with a welcome that says, I'm glad you're here. And you step off of this truck and you look around and everybody around you is happy and content. And you think, what is going on? Did somebody catch this slave master and kill him? Why, why is everybody so happy here? And you start asking around. And what you find is that this slave master that you think you've been bought by, actually, he's a very gracious Man, he's actually, people start kind of referring to him as a little bit like a king. And so what has happened is the grace of this master has now 
infested or starts running through the veins, this grace starts running through the veins of the people in this place, and they're being changed by it, and it's becoming a place where people are at peace, they're content, yet there's a quiet strength to them. And so you're excited to be there, and so you step up to meet this new master king, and the first thing he says to you is, you're free to go, but you decide you'd be crazy to leave. And so you stay, and you continue this conversation on with him, and, and you find that there really is nobody like him, and he really has changed this place. And before you leave this conversation with him, he says, wait, we call this place the gates of grace, and you have walked through the gates of grace, and you have met me, the king of grace. And he says, but I'm not, but there's something for you to do. I've got something very important for you to do. I want you to go out of the gates of grace now. And I want you to go find people because there are people being bought by people that aren't like me. The kings that are not like me and they're being captured by these people and their life is in danger. So I want you to go find them and I want you to bring them back here through the gates of grace. And all of a sudden, you find yourself shockingly excited about this. You're eager to go do this and you're, and you're wondering what's happening to you. Where's this energy coming from? Where's this determination coming from? And the king notices this and so he says, what's going on? And you say, I don't know. I feel eager to go do this. And he says, I know what that is. It's grace and it's changing you. And it's making you into somebody who's different. And it's giving you this strength and this determination and this moxie. And you have this peace and this contentment that's going along with it. And he says, so go and do it. And so you go. And you walk out the door of this king's great house. And you go through the gates of grace. And you find as you're going, you are met one by one, by another person who is joining you in this cause. And what you find over time is that these people have become your greatest friends, that you have a bond and a connection with them that you didn't think you could have with anybody else. And as you are doing this, you're going to be bringing people back through these gates of grace, and you're going to be watching. You're going to be like heroes to these people. Now, that is what Christian moxie is. And it's what has happened to Paul, the writer of the book of Philippians that we're going to be in today. And he goes, here's what he does. He goes out on this mission and he finds himself in this situation where he is imprisoned because he's trying to bring, bring people into these gates of grace. And so he's, as he's trying to bring them in, he gets arrested. He's in prison and his life is in danger. And there's a potential that he's going to die, but he doesn't care. He's completely stoked. He's excited. He's joyful about what's happening because he's seeing people come to faith through what God is doing. And here's why. Because grace is coursing through his veins. And it gives him the moxie that is needed. And today we're going to discover how to get this. The secret is grace, but then there's a secret inside of the secret, and we're going to get to that. So, Philippians 1, verses 12 through 26. It's quite a bit to read, so just stay focused on it. Here we go. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love. This is a kind of weird part, so stick with this. Knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? 
only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether life or by death. Listen, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. All right get in the context here. Paul's in prison. That's where he's writing this letter. He's probably in a Roman prison, and he's awaiting his potential death, and he says, but I am of full courage. And on top of this, there's this strange part where we see these other Christian preachers are actually preaching out of rivalry from him. It's really strange what's going on. We're not really quite sure what's happening, but likely, or could be, that there are other preachers, Christian preachers, but they're teaching something that's slightly different than what Paul is teaching. Yet, yet, they're still Christians, but, but look at what they're doing. They're seeing that Paul's in prison, and they're taking advantage of it, and they're trying to Take one up him. They're trying to take advantage of him being in prison. Now, they're obviously not living out in light of what grace has given them. Okay, so, so basically, I mean, that's a lonely situation. Paul's, who are supposed to be his friends, are preaching out of rivalry against him. Yet, what he says is, I'm totally cool with this. In fact, I'm rejoicing in this. I'm rejoicing in it because... Christ is being preached, and I'm rejoicing in this whole situation. He's waiting his potential death, but he's good. He's absolutely content with whatever happens next because this grace is coursing through his veins. In fact, look at what happens, though. You see that line about the whole imperial guard? Now, here's what this means. So there, he's, probably, he's probably in a Roman prison. And here's what's likely happening. He's in this Roman prison. There are these imperial guards, and they would have had allegiance to Caesar. So here's what they would say about Caesar. Caesar, here's what is expected to say. Caesar is my Lord and my Savior. And they think that Caesar is like a god. And as soon as Caesar dies, he's, the Caesar dies, he's going to become like a god. And so the imperial guard, they would have been expected to proclaim absolute allegiance to Caesar. And then while Paul is in prison... They start following Jesus, and they have discovered something about this king of grace that they say, I don't even care if this is me committing treason. I can't help it. I must follow Christ. And so these imperial guards are converted to become Christians. This would have been absolutely mind-blowing for this to happen, and that's why Paul is so stoked about what's going on. And so even though he could die, he's ecstatic. Now, here's the question. Us, humanity... When life is going good, we can't seem to be content, we can't seem to be at peace, and, and we can't seem to be happy. Paul's situation is absolutely horrible. And yet, look at what he's got. 
He's got peace, contentment, happiness. All his for the taking. How did he get it? What are we missing? Well, if you think I'm going to say grace, you'd be right. However, however, it's more than that. Now, you say, wait, 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 wait. You should be saying this. You say, wait, more than grace? I thought grace is enough. You're right, grace is enough. Good job. Well done. However, however, Paul has found something to do with this grace, something that it's likely that you're not doing, and that's why you're missing out on being content. That's why you aren't happy. That's why you're not joyful, and that's why you're not at peace with what's happening in your life. You got to look at Paul right now, and you got to admit that you don't have this. Come on. You don't have it. You don't have what Paul's has. He's found the secret of what to do with the grace, and here's the secret. Here's the secret. He takes grace, and he traces it all the way to its end. He takes grace, and he asks the question, what does this give me after death? And then Paul sets his imagination upon life after death, and he's constantly thinking about life after death. His, he, in his mind, he's developing visions of what life after death is like, and he's constantly thinking about this. He sees that when he dies, he enters fully into the gates of grace, and then guess what happens? Guess what happens? If you don't know this, you need to know this right now. Each day in eternity is better than the last the pleasures of heaven and eternity, the pleasures of being with Christ, each day gets better and better and better. It's an eternally growing ecstasy that continues on and on and on. And that's why he says, for me, to die is gain. To die is gain. Death is gain. Death is gain. Did you hear he said that? Death is gain. Now, there's a song that we sing here called In Christ Alone. And in this song, there's a beautiful line that says, no guilt in life and no fear in death. And Paul takes that line, and it's a, it's a, it's a perfect song. I mean, it's true, no fear in death. However, Paul says, you know what? It's not just no fear in death. It's death is gain. That's very different. Not just no fear, but death is is gained. There's a Bible verse in Ecclesiastes. It says this, the day of death is better than the day of birth. The day of death is better than the day of birth. See, let's just do some, let's just do some comparisons. In the present life, we are birthed into a world that is cursed by sin. And we are held captive to this world in a way. If, if you found grace, you say, oh, but I've been set free. And you have, you've been set free. But you're still in a world that is being influenced by sin. And so you are, you, are, you are still in a way captive in this world. It still has you. You're still stuck. And you want to live a different way, but you can't seem to do it. And so you, in, in very real way, you are ha- captive to it. Now, I, I, I got to tell you, for me, I'm, I'm loathing my sin. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of seeing the things that I do over and over again. I, I'm just ready to not have to live with the disgust of my sin. And there's going to come a day when I am ripped free from this world. And on that day, 
I will not sin again. I'm going to be walking into a life where I can't sin. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be perfect. This disgust will be gone, and it's going to be a glorious day. In this life, we are birthed. Next one. In this life, we are birthed into a world that feels like we're sinking in quicksand. And everything we do as we're trying and trying and trying, as we're trying, it seems like things just get worse and worse and worse. There will come a day, life after death, where we don't have to try anymore. Trying is not a thing. We just be. We just be exactly as we are meant to be, and we can't help it. We're just responding to things exactly the way we're supposed to be doing. It's like this beautiful thing, this beautiful song, this beautiful life. We can't help but do exactly what we are meant to do. And life with God is as it's meant to be. Life with each other is as it's meant to be. And everybody's treating each other exactly how they're meant to treat each other. Quicksand gone. The day of our birth, we are born into earthly enjoyments that fade and feel like magic tricks that end up leading into misery very often. But at the day of our death, we enter into divine enjoyments that do not fade, but are ever increasing in pleasure over and over and over again, every day better than the last. On the day of our birth, we are born to open our eyes and look into the sun up in the sky. On the day of our death, we will awaken and our eyes will be opened and we will see not the sun that is created, but we will see the S-O-N sun and his light of himself, his glory will shine brighter, 10,000 times brighter than the sun. And we will have our eyes adjusted in such a way that we are able to look upon him. And we will be so enamored by his beauty that we won't be able to look away. His glory is just too good to look away from. And it will be the greatest pleasure to look upon. On the day of our death on this earth, we will have friends and family that are weeping. But on the day of our death also, we will be welcomed by people who have already gone before us who are rejoicing, rejoicing that we have entered through the gates of grace. On the day of our birth, at best, we are born into an inheritance here that perishes and fades. But at the day of our death, we are born into an inheritance that will not fade, that's imperishable, outside of decay, It even says in Psalm 116, precious is the sight of the Lord, in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's precious to God when you die. That sounds so weird, but it's precious to him. Why? Because of what you're entering into. Ah, man, I'm praying for this, for me, for you guys, that we would have visions of what life is like after this, and that we could be people who are like, ah, like a, Paul is saying, death, bring it on. Do whatever to me that you want to do because on the other side of this, look at what I'm walking into. So whatever it is, fine. I'm ready because I know what's coming next. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, death has lost its sting. Death has lost its victory. It's done. It's been defeated. Death has been conquered, finished. I pray. 
that God would give us the ears to hear of the glories of what is to come, and we would be so enamored and infatuated by what is to come that we would constantly be thinking about our future, and by doing that, we would be changed people today. We could see death as gain. And see, so, so that's what happens to Paul. He's seeing death as gain, and it changes him, and then it forces him, causes him to say, therefore, to live as Christ. What does that mean? It means, kill me if you want. I'm going to go be with Christ. Let me live, and I'm going to tell the whole world about him. I'm going to live for him. And the world's going to know that I live for him. Paul finds himself in this prison. But in prison, he's bringing people into the pleasures of knowing Christ and his grace. And Paul... Okay, so here's this guy. Here's this, this guy, Paul. He sees everything that's happening to him as an opportunity to advance the gospel. Absolutely everything. He trusts God with whatever's happening in his life. I'm in prison. Well, let's see what God's about to do. Because what am I going to do? Well, I don't know what else to do except to talk about Christ. So I'm going to talk about Christ. And as I'm talking about Christ, people are going to come, come to Christ and it's going to be amazing. You want to take my life? Fine, take my life. I'm going to go be with Christ. There's his contentment. He doesn't care. He knows that if he is here to advance the gospel, God's kingdom cannot be stopped when the word is being spoken out. So he's going to do it, and he's going to watch and take joy, and as the kingdom of God is expanding through his words, and then if you take him from this world, that's fine. He gets to go be with Christ. It's his motto, to live as Christ, to die as gain. But Paul understands, because he knows what he's walking into, that there's nothing better to live for than Christ. Nothing. He understands that if you live for anything other than Jesus, you will be lacking. You're going to lack purpose. And and in all honesty, he's saying you're going to be wasting your life if you are not living for Christ. He says you're wasting every year, every day, every hour, every minute if you're not living for Christ. I mean, this is bold, this is offensive claim. The question is, is Paul being extreme here? I mean, is this just meant, is this just meant for people like Paul or these like super pastors who go and do this amazing stuff and we can watch what they're doing and we'd be like, wow, look how great their faith is. Man, my faith feels stronger by watching them and hearing the things that they're doing. I mean, is this just for Paul or these super pastors to be doing? And the answer is no. So you say, okay, well, maybe this is just for pastors to be doing. I mean, maybe the pastors, they go and they have this like intense moment with God and they're on their knees and they're just experiencing the pleasures of knowing God and they can come back and they can tell you about it and you could say, oh, wow, look at what happens when you get on your knees. I should probably do that one day. Or oh, let me just learn from them as they're doing that. That seems like a little bit much for me. Let me just watch at a distance. Is that what this is supposed to be saying? No saying every single Christian to live as Christ and to die as gain. To live as Christ, to die as gain. I mean, he's, he's upping it. He's upping it. Like, it's, it, it could be that it's, uh, it's, honestly, it could be that it's a little too easy to follow Jesus in America. And there's not enough of us who really feel like to live as Christ and to die as gain. But if the situation was you're going to be thrown in prison, if the situation is you're going to be killed for what you believe, what would we do be doing? Every life that's Christian life is meant to say to live as Christ and to die 
is gain. Now, does this mean you leave your job and become a pastor? No. I mean, it could, but it's likely not meaning that. It means, it means this. Each and every one of you, you have discovered the gates of grace. And the king has said, now go out. Go out. Because there's people who don't know about this place. You've got to tell them about this place and you've got to bring them back. You live for Christ at work, at home, whatever it is you're doing. And remember, you're not alone in this. When you left through those gates of grace, people joined you along the way. You became like this team of Avengers that was going to go out and save the world that's just closed around you through these great words about what, who Jesus is and what he's done. And you have these words that are powerful words and you bring people through the gates of grace. There's nothing more honorable, there's nothing more pleasurable to see than some, I mean, this is a life filled with purposes to see as someone discovers this grace and you watch them walk through those gates of grace and they're meeting the king of grace for the first time and they got this big old smile on their face or their life is just being like reminded like, oh, I left him and now I'm coming back to him. This is a beautiful thing and you get to watch it happen. There's nothing more rewarding. doesn't mean you leave your job this is meant like I got to tell you this this is meant to be a normal Christian life like that's normal to be able to usher people in to meet the king of grace that's normal it's exhilarating but it's the normal part of what the Christian life is meant to be and and you're on the front lines doing it like like here's here's the error you think that the pastors are on the front lines. The pastors are here to equip the church to be out on the front lines. You go into your workplace. You go to wherever it is that you're going. Now, look, you guys know me. Like, I love being on the front lines. I love this kind of thing. Like, this is my thing. Like, we're, we're a church very much on the front lines. And, 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 look, we're not trying to be the best church that we can be so we can get a bunch of Christians to come here and, like, be like, woo, we found the best church. Woo-hoo, like, things are cool here or not cool or whatever. Like, or I'm going to go there. Like, this is not what this is about. This is about us, like, honestly, vulnerably coming to God and saying, God, I want to know what you've done for me, and now I want to see what you've done for me, and I want to live a life that's like the right response to it. And when we're like, I can't do that, should I give up on this? No, we just go to God and we say, God, I can't do it. Like, give me what I need. I'm not strengthened right now. There's a verse in 2 Timothy 2.1. It says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What is strengthening us? Grace. So you're not living the way you should live. What do you do? You go back to the grace. Just go hang out with the king of grace. And he's going to pour this grace into you, and then you're going to be like, you're going to be filled up with the moxie, and then you're going to be like, oh, I got to go back, I got to go do this. And then you're going to be like, oh man, I don't feel like doing this anymore, I feel weak, or I don't feel like I'm prepared, or I, don't, I just want a comfortable life, or I just, I, don't, I just don't want to do what God's telling me to do. What am I doing wrong here? And then you say, oh, let me go back to the king of grace, and you go back and you meet him again, you're reminded, oh yeah, what have I been doing? I know some of you guys are like, man, this is too much for me. It's too much for me to. It is. But that's what this is about. It's the king of grace. Not the king of like, come on, let's go do it. The king of grace. And what you find is that the grace is actually the most motivating thing that you've ever tasted in your life. It's the most nourishing thing you've ever tasted in your life. And you taste it. And then you're motivated. Then you're strengthened. Then you have the moxie. 
And this is, like, you're cared for. Like, that's what the church is. It's here to care for you. And then to say, all right, now go, go bring people in to the gates of grace. And like, oh, man, I'm a failure at doing this. It's okay. Like, me too. Let's just go to the king. And this is the other thing that Paul knows. See, part of this is like, man, this just sounds like too much. Paul knows that if you're not living for Christ, you're living for something else. And so if it sounds like too much to you, there is something else that you're doing that other people would look at and be like, their devotion to that thing seems like too much to me. You're going to be doing something that seems like too much. The question is, what are you fully, 100% invested in? What are you living for? And if it's not Christ, what does that thing that you're living for produce? What does it give you? Because this whole time you've likely been saying, man, I'm uncomfortable with this. But you got to get really uncomfortable with what you're living for. If it's not Christ, it's something else. Are you uncomfortable with your devotion to that thing? Because you should be. And Paul's saying, if you aren't living for Christ, you're wasting your life. Offensive. Paul's offensive. But here's the reason why. Because whatever you live for, that is what you usher people into. Whatever you, like you know this, when you find something, you discover something that you love so much, you've got to tell people about it. You want to involve them in it. So whatever you love the most, that's what you're inviting people to live into with you. Whatever you love the most, you're inviting people to live into that. So the question is, have you found king, king, the kingdom and the king and you're ushering people into that because you're living for the king, or are you ushering people to live in some other kingdom? Because you're going to usher them into some kind of kingdom. Your kids, your friends, you're going to do it. So if you're not living for Christ, you're living for something else, and then you're ushering all the people that you love into the thing that you're living for. Should you be ushering them into that over the kingdom of God? I think when you say it that way, you're like, oh, well, obviously, David, I know what I'm supposed to do. And then you, then you say right now, well, gosh, I'm not doing it. Where do I get the strength to do it? Have you not been listening? Grace, the king of grace. Just keep going back to him. If it, okay, I'm just going to say this. If you aren't, as a parent, living for Christ and ushering your kids into that life. Paul's saying, you're failing. And if your friends, if you're not ushering them in, Paul's saying, you're failing. I mean, say, Paul, that was mean. It was mean, a little bit, I guess. But if it's true, if, 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 if Paul believes this, he has this conviction from the depths of his heart, how could he not share it? He's got to. So we begin to start living for Christ. We usher people into his kingdom. Now, if you don't believe that this is true, if you don't believe that Christianity is true, well, then that's another thing. And we got to figure that out too. But we have our skeptics group for that, which we're, I'll tell you about in our announcements time. But 
Right now, you should be asking, how in the world can I start doing this? Because I know that I'm not. That's what I'm asking myself right now. And I want you to know this. Like, when I'm writing these sermons, I'm not like, oh, man, look at my life. I'm doing this. I feel so convicted. I probably feel more convicted than you do because I'm in it, like, soaking it in. And I just feel like a failure over and over and over again. But then I go to grace. Anyways, um, here's the real question. Don't miss this. If you're asking, how do, I, how do I become a person like this? And if you really want to be, if you really want to be, if you don't want to be, don't listen to this. But if you really want to live this way, here's the question. What did Jesus live and die for? For Jesus, it was the same. For Jesus, he said to live is Christ and to die is gain, but for a different reason. Because it sounds weird that he would say to live is Christ and to die is gain. So to live is me and to die is gain. Here's what's going on. Jesus knows that living for, him, living for his glory is the absolute best thing for us. Why? Because watch this. When he lives for all of his glory, for his perfection to be poured out into a cursed world, for his perfection to be poured out into a world that's pretty messed up. When he pours his perfection into this world and he lives exactly the perfect life, do you know why he's doing it? It's not just for his glory. It's so that we can take hold of that perfect record that he has brought into this world and he's saying, here, it's yours, take it. This is the the step of faith. This is us taking the grace. This is us seeing God lived this perfect life, but now he's ready to give it to us. All of his beauty, all of his perfection, all of who he is is about to be credited to us through faith in grace. So to live is Christ for him, meaning he's living for you. So you will take hold of him and his record that he's ready to give you. But not just that. Death is gain for him. Why? Why is it good that God dies? Because he enters into death and he breaks through it to bring us through it. So, so death is just something we just take a walk through. And then, by rising from the grave, he builds up this world that's in through the gates of grace. So, Jesus, like Paul, so Paul enters into the prison, and there's all these, this imperial guard, and they have these kings, or they have the king Caesar, is this false king. And by Peter going, or by Paul, <laughs> Paul going into prison, too many Ps, Paul going into prison, He saves this imperial guard from their admiration and devotion to Caesar. Jesus, here it is, here it is. Jesus enters into the prison of death to rescue you from the kings and the masters that have hold of you, that you are living for. Whatever it is that you're living for, he died on the cross to free you from its grip so that you might be released from that and then might enter into the gates of grace with him. He does that so you have access, but then he rises from the grave so that you could be with him as he is building this kingdom of grace. Here's what it all comes down to. Jesus left the gates of heaven to come and get you to bring you back in. And he's just saying, go do the same. And the way that we could say to live is Christ and to die is gain is because we see, you see that he lived for you and he died for you. When you really see that, 
You set your mind on the things that are to come. To die is gain, to live is Christ. Father, I pray that we would be people of moxie. God, I pray that the dullness that we feel at times, whether here in this room or in our life, God, I pray that your grace would make us come alive. The dullness would be ripped from us. God, I pray that you would help us to see that your spirit would show us that there is nothing greater to live for than you. And when we fail in it over and over and over again, God, let us be reminded of the grace that you've given through the cross and the resurrection. And God, I pray right now that the people who right now are feeling like I don't measure up to that life, I pray right now that that feeling and that truth would not make them run from you, but make them run to you into your arms of grace. Because God, that's all of us. We know that this life that you've called us to is beyond our ability to live, and so we come to you for grace to live that life you've called us to live. And so help us in this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.